13 or higher. Too risky. Cast a protection spell. Don't be a pussy. Fireball him. Cast protection. The Demogorgon is tired of your silly human bickering. It stops towards you. Boom! Fireball him, Will. Will. Stop! Boom! Cast protection. He was in anger. Okay, thank you for tuning in. I am here with my friend Kieran. Hello. Kieran, say your last name. My name is Kieran Cressy. Where were you born? I was born in England. What city? Stork? A place called Stoke-on-Trent. Stoke-on-Trent. Yes. How come um, that city got more than one one word in the name? So it's close to the River Trent, but I think that's that's the oh, right so answer. Oh, so it's like the city of Stoke on the River Trent. On the River Trent. But, but I think official... it's also to make it more interesting. Okay. Because there's nothing else interesting about it. No, you told me before something's invented there. Oh, yeah. So we used to have the pottery industry. Oh, the so pottery. The pottery industry. Very close to Harry Potter. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I am 24. I recently uh, moved to the United States. Is this how many times you've been here before? Um, probably four or five times. Oh, so you've before. been here. I've only been to Europe once. Yeah, I mean, it helps that I was, you know, visiting my now wife. So I had a little bit. Oh more yeah. Of a so how long did so. you guys date before you got hitched? So we dated for about four years before we got married. So we started dating when she was 19 and I just turned 20. So is there any kind of like um. Are British people like, oh, I'd love to marry an American woman? I don't know. I think I think there's I a... I think all the American women dream about marrying yeah, British men. <laughs> absolutely. No, that's so true. That's so true. No, I think... Uh, I don't think Brits would even talk about it. I think they're just like anything other than, than their own, you know, usualness is like interesting. Or they're like, hate it. So it's, it's I think it's it's ends of a spectrum. So for, compare, for uh, compare Stoke-on-Trent to an American city. Ooh. Okay. You know what? It's not unlike... I have a friend, actually, who lives in Detroit, and it's not unlike Detroit. It's Is a it lot smaller. No, it's a lot smaller. Okay. Um, it's like Detroit on a smaller scale. It's like if you shrunk it down to be the size of, like, a okay. city Okay, now, Detroit's kind of vacated because all the industry left. You right. mean that part of That's it? That's exactly it, yeah. You're not... Geographically, you're not far from Liverpool. Right, Who's yeah. your soccer team? Well, Stoke has its own soccer team. Yeah, you love Stoke, the Stoke City, but I do not follow them at What's all. What's their mascot? The Storks? The Ooh, Stoke good Storks? Question. They're called the Potters. No, oh, that's yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they have a mascot. Would they play uh, like Everton, or is that a different league? That I think is a different. This is really showing. I have no idea. They were in the Premier League for a long time. Interesting fact about you: you're the the one British guy who didn't care that much for soccer, but loves American football. Right, exactly. Which, who's your American team? I really like the Bears. Oh. We just hit a, the first snag in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your team? The Packers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I would not have agreed to this they, if I had uh, known. They got a G on their helmet for God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it still um, doesn't help them that much. That's enough bio. We'll probably bump back into it. Hey, do you think you right. could teach me that I have a British accent? Absolutely. What? And there are different kinds of British accents oh, in Britain. Uh, yes. Kind of like there's, you know, the, the Southern accent. Right, the, exactly. The Wisconsin yeah. accent. What, what's yours? What's yours? Um... Mine is a fairly generic Northern accent. Okay. So I don't actually sound like somebody from Stoke that much. You work with our youth group kids and they've all told you what. I do. Well, they, yeah, they um, either think I'm British or Australian. Australian. Um, and so they, and it's kind of this running joke that some of them are still not actually sure because I tell them with such a straight face that I was born in Perth, Australia. Okay. And some of them were like, wait, I thought you were British. And I was like, no. Oh. 
Well, we're almost four minutes into this 30-minute podcast, and we haven't talked a thing about why I have you on here yet. <laughs> I apologize, listeners. Hey. No, uh, no. They have now heard my my intro, which was the Stranger Things song and a bit from that episode where, from season one where the kids are playing. I'm talking to you because you're a dungeon master. I am. From the game Dungeons & Dragons. Absolutely. Uh, one more British thing. Yes. Sorry. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I have one really good British friend, uh-huh. um, and I was his best man in his wedding. Oh, amazing. So I really have hit it off with the yeah. British. Have you ever been the best man in an American wedding? I have not. I've not been a best man, period. Oh, well, that may be so, coming. Yeah, I mean, hopefully so. Okay. Uh, what is D&D? D&D is Dungeons & Dragons, which is a tabletop role-playing game. Tabletop role-playing game? That's right. Compare yeah. it to two games. So it is a little bit like, um, you mean like video games or just any games? Uh, that people will have a handle on. Everybody okay. knows what Monopoly is. Right, yeah. So um, for people who are familiar with video games, it is very much like playing something like Skyrim, which is quite a classic um, kind of fantasy role-playing you know, role playing video Okay, game. that doesn't help. Okay. <laughs> Uh, like Monopoly and Catan, a mix of that. What, what is yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it I, yeah, maybe elements of Catan. It's kind of hard to hard to explain. Maybe because of the the way in which you play it. So unlike board games, where you tend to have a like an objective that is set and concrete, and you're often in um, competition with other players. Dungeons and Dragons is mainly a cooperative game with the people sitting around you at the table. Who's um, the bad guy? The bad guy is the dungeon master. So it's you. Sort of. That's that's a very simple answer, but yeah, technically speaking. But I am also their allies. I am also the uh, person they've been hired to follow. I'm the person that they have been, who hired them to follow that person. So compare the dungeon master to somebody in another game. Are you like the referee? Yeah, I'm like, you know what? I like to think of it, um, the dungeon master is very much like um, the... They are the stage on which the play of Dungeons and Dragons takes place. So the the, the the other players are the main characters. They're the actors who take them leading roles, and the dungeon master is the uh, extras and the sets and the script. Although scripting D and D is not especially. A Have you ever done a murder time. mystery dinner? I've not, but I'd love to. Because like you get these scripts that right. they tell you who you are, right. but you don't actually even know if you're the murderer till the end. Right, it's and, very similar. Yeah. And you ad lib your character, you create your character based on these cues. Right, you play a role. Yeah, you role play. Okay, so yeah. maybe that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy actually. Yeah, for people who and not and um, the dungeon master is the narrator. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, now I get it. Yeah. This is a for the people for whom this is important. This is very important. It is. Yeah, it really is. Um, people get really into it. Now, um, I'm only bringing this up because you you got a religious background, right? Sorts. Now, I, I had a, I grew up evangelical. Character. Sure. I don't know if those monikers will mean anything to listeners, but um, we I was well protected from the wiles of the devil. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, for instance, I was not allowed to read Harry Potter when it first came out. I had to rebel <laughs> in college and do that on my own. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons, I was told, uh, was was the devil's play. Right, yeah, the satanic panic yeah. of the of the seventies and eighties is what it's now known as. Um, maybe not quite as bad as a Ouija board. Right, and um, I still got my question marks about Ouija boards. But um, I was told like people get so into their character, right, that when their character died in the game, they committed suicide in real life. Right, and the Rough. demons were getting them. Yeah. Did you ever have any experience with the demons getting you? I have not yet. No, not currently. And the funny thing about that kind of thing is that because it that's criticism leveled at some kinds of video games too and the ironic thing is that often you're the ones that are killing the demons so actually you're vanquishing the bad guys you're vanquishing the darkness did you guys and, yeah. have nes in england 
Nintendo Entertainment. Yeah, so there was a little bit before my time. Did you remember a game called Castlevania? Yeah, I yeah I know the series well. Yeah. Okay, slaying the demons. Absolutely. So, um, is there any merit to this though that people get can get wrapped up in this fictional character that they've created? Yeah, I think so. As I was kind of like, after you asked me to kind of talk about this, I was sort of thinking about it um, because it really. It's seen a resurgence recently, and I think it's not just because it's become easier to kind of consume media that are people make uh, about D&D, like watching live play games or that kind of thing. I think that it's really taken off um, because people are realizing that it kind of hits on three, like three really ancient things about human beings. Um, and that would be like community, exploration, and storytelling. Hmm. Um, it like it. That's sort of beautiful. I'd yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> right, and and, and I think it, it, it's surprise. I think that's its appeal is it has a surprising amount of depth, um, not just in terms of its, you know, the mechanics or the kind of like what you're doing, but like how it makes you feel and what you're creating with a group of friends. So the dungeon master, though, that's a little bit different work. You don't get yeah. to, you don't get to play in the same way that other people play. Right. Yeah. Do you get as much satisfaction from being the dungeon master? I do. Um, I think that that certainly depends on the person. Because is it because you're kind of being an artist? Is that the satisfaction? I think so. Yeah. It's it's this. Um, it's that I get to watch my friends. Uh, delight in things that i've made especially made with them in mind that i think they'll enjoy and like and be challenged by um and i get to watch them often a dungeon master's role is to put a problem in front of the players um be it a social one a combat one a whatever one um with no what's that word you're saying one one yeah i think so yeah w-a-n just like a uh no O-N-E, I think. Like oh, a combat one. one or the a, yeah, one. yeah, yeah, the number one, yeah. <laughs> like an example of a combat encounter, I should say, or a social okay. encounter. Um, and watching them solve it in ways you would never imagined when you came up with it. So just because just the only kind of games I know how to play are the one where people hand me the constraints. Right, right. So what do you mean, like, first, you create your character from Dungeons & Dragons, right? Yes. So if I'm going to play Dungeons & Dragons with you, yep. I'm going to say, Kieran, uh, my character is named Walter. Fantastic. He has a body of the rock. Great. The wrestler. He has a head of a rhinoceros. Absolutely. And he has an elder wand. Yep. And with his elder wand, he can kill anybody he wants at any point. Brilliant. And that works? Not quite. Why not? So you can come to me with that and then you kind of say, this is who I want to be eventually. Uh, and the process of D&D is saying, okay, well, let's like figure out how we get to that point. Um, maybe we should take a step back and sort of explain. So the way in which I like to talk about D&D and describe it to people is it's a creative collaborative storytelling with your friends um and the other way i like to describe it is like it's like those games of uh make believe you play when well, you're kids let's do this yeah. um let's say you gave me the body of the rock and the head of everyone else right but i have my wand i want to get my wand sure are you going to tell me you got to skip across the stones first yeah i'm going to say the wand is guarded by you know the necromancer uh, yeah the ancient necromancer the lich king himself and you have to venture across the frozen wastes and you've got to go and slay the dragon to get Okay, the, well, you know. then I'm going to tell you, I just got a jetpack. I'm going to fly over the frozen waste. Sure. Well, again, and that's part of the thing is that there is a buy-in to D&D, which, which is, is that you... I agree to the constraints. Right, exactly. Everybody agrees to the same. But there's no meta-narrative that's dictating to me these constraints. You, the dungeon master, have to create this every time. Sort of. I mean, there is there is a set of mechanical rules. Do you ever get at somebody who's just belligerent and you have to tell them, okay, leave, you're not playing by the rules? I've not had that experience yet, but I do make it clear to players when I sit down for like the first session with them is that 
this only works if we all agree to buy into it this way and if we want to and there's not a problem with people saying i want to be all powerful and i want to like do these things it's like great but we're going to work up to that slash the enemies you're going to face and the problems and the situations you're going to encounter are going to match that you know so i'm still this is in the spirit of figuring out the constraints sure uh to to play dungeons and dragons i need my mind need your mind and a set of dice a set of dice and a character sheet What's a character sheet? So a character sheet is, um, it's a little, uh, just a piece of paper that we print out and it has a number of different like boxes on it where we would do what we call roll your stats. So this is how you find out if you're really strong or really clever. Oh, or you roll your stats. So. so you say, yeah. now I'm rolling for my muscles. Exactly. Yeah. So then I got a, a, how many numbers are on the dice? Uh, it depends on the dice, but for, the, for that, it's like a, a out of 20. So if I get an 18, I'm pretty strong. Absolutely. So, and then so, I, now I'm going to say I'm going to roll for my smarts. Right, exactly. How many categories are there? There's six. Oh, so that's predetermined. Exactly. So, so we have a constraint. Right, so the constraints are there. And, and what that does is the books that you can get, so the player's handbook is probably the most common one, run you through those constraints of saying, okay, well, you can certainly try and lift that super heavy uh, okay. box, but you're going to roll this so, dice and um, add your strength. I roll, I got a 20 on smarts and a 20 on strength, and yeah. I got a zero on everything else. Okay, Right. So how am I going to get my wand now? What do I have to compensate for? Well, that's up to you, and that's up to the other players in your party too, is that where you might be bad at something, say you have a low charisma, yeah. Uh, or you have a low uh, dexterity, so maybe you know you have no sense of balance, or you know um, other. I'm not players... going to do the stepping stones very well. Right. Exactly. Whereas other players may. have How would high... you introduce that constraint though, if the game is all creative? Like you do it at the beginning. Um, but what I'm saying is, let's say I got a low on dexterity. Sure. Um, do then I like? Do I get a smaller number of dice to roll with? That would. No. Essentially, what happens is you get um, when you get a, a number score for say strength, it okay. would be a sixteen. Okay. And that gives you a, a natural plus, say, three or four to whatever you roll on the dice. And you roll the same dice every time. Okay. So even somebody with a really low, net, like, say, they get a minus two to their roll. Okay. They roll really high. If they get, like, an 18, you still, even with your minus two, you've got a 16. Oh, it's like so a you, handicap. Right. It's a handicap. It's like ah. you can still do those feats of, like, strength or dexterity. And there again, the or, handicap is something from the rule book. Exactly. Okay, yes. so th- this is not just willy-nilly no the game has form it does okay yeah, I, it does. I feel like i understand this now my question is um in culturally we, we sort of um have a caricature of the dungeon and right. dragon guy or gal right um so this is going to be the next section session called how nerd are you how nerd are you sure yeah uh i'm gonna i'm gonna list something you tell me if you've consumed it sure experienced it whatever the appropriate okay excellent narnia yes Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Harry Potter. Yes. Star Wars. Yes. King Killer. Yes. Magic the Gathering. Absolutely. Comic books. Yes. Battlestar Galactica. No. Have you ever built a robot? No. Okay, so you're like a 9 out of 10 I know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty All much. All right, Dungeon Master. Dungeon Master. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, in this conversation, I've already discovered I'm much more surprised at how artistic the endeavor is. Sure. Do you think that... In the same way that doing anything repeatedly makes you better at it. Mm. Do you feel like playing Dungeons and Dragons is inclined to make one, A, a better writer? Yeah. And B, a, just a more artistic person? I think, yeah, yes to both of those things. Um, I think that, and writing is the interesting one because in my preparation as a dungeon master, um, 
I have to account for the players, right? Because if I'm telling an interesting story and it doesn't matter, if I could take the players out of the equation and the story still happens, then I should be writing a story. I shouldn't be planning a session for D&D. But it does... I come up with, you know, the way that politics works between kingdoms or between houses within a kingdom or something and, you know, how outsiders may react to that and all that kind of thing. And then the players have to navigate through all of those traps and pitfalls. And so I'm holding all of that in my head. So I think it helps you to plot out what's realistic. And and, and because it comes alive in a way that it doesn't, when you're just writing it, you act it out and the players react to it in character. Um, I think you come to understand a little bit better how to make those things compelling and believable. Um, and the artistic thing, definitely. Um, I mean, there are, there are players who... I have players in a group that I'm running for right now um, who draw their characters. Um, like, and, sketch them out. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and imagine it in their heads. And I think at that process of both... You're imagining your character, but then as I'm describing a scene to you, you're holding it in your head and you're putting your own color to it and how your character stands in that scene. Um, I So, yeah, I think it's a wonderfully creative endeavor. Yeah. So um, going back to the satanic panic. And yes. The, my character died. Um, say I was involved in multiple Dungeon and Dragon games. Yes. Like I go to your house on Tuesday, I yes. go to my buddy Willie's on Thursday. Yep. If my character dies in your game. Yeah. Willie didn't even know it. Right, no. So I just, I just, but, and, and could I not introduce an element into the game where my character is resurrected? Well, resurrection is a big part of D&D. Oh, look at that. Yeah, so so, so there, there, is, there is a class, uh, and your class in D&D is sort of like what you do. Uh, so there's a class called clerics, right, which are the, the pastors of D&D. Oh, um, and so well, say that word again. The pastors of D&D. No, 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 clerics? Cleric, yeah. Oh, like cleric. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Uh, so a cleric uh, often has access to resurrection magic. And so oh. now they require stuff and they have to be done within certain time constraints sometimes. And certain dungeon masters... Does anybody make their character a cleric? Yeah, I haven't got any in games I'm running at the moment. I really like clerics. I oh, think I'm gonna be, if I start playing, I'm gonna be a hundred percent. They they are um, they're somebody if you like supporting the people around you. So you often will heal. You'll uh, make your allies attacks more. Oh, they're just like an enneagram two, is what they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't want to be that. <laughs> What's well, the enneagram three in the game? What what? Oh, yeah. good, probably a rogue. What, what does say. a rogue do? So a rogue is a sort of a. a you can be a thief or an assassin or a kind oh, of yeah, a swashbuckler. <laughs> you're, you're usually the person in the group who's very charismatic and you're very slippery and you're very like, you know, panache is okay, what the okay. rogue sort of no, deals with. Now yeah. we've heard what you think about threes. Absolutely. There it is. <laughs> no, let's, since we started, let's go. Are there nine kind of characters or are there so more? There, there, yeah. So I, it's actually interesting. I, I've been thinking a lot recently about the Enneagram and how it relates to me building non-player characters so the character the the the, the uh, characters that the players will interact with in D, and it helps me to think about their motivations and what they want huh. and that helps me to then flesh them out more realistically and say well okay this you know uh this scout for example is uh, a nine and so if the party starts why because they're they're peacemaking yeah, you know, like yeah, like peacemaking. So what they might want is motivated by their idea of they may not let the party in that much uh, because they kind of have their own safe space, and so they're a guide oh, and they have a job to do, but they're not gonna. Gotcha. You know, so it kind of helps with that. Um, what was your question before this? Well, I, w- I was gonna say, could we type all the numbers? But I want to do that. What, oh, what, sure. What's the seven though? The seven's the. This yeah, good question. So uh, so there there are twelve classes in Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Well, actually, th- they're adding a. a, a Thirteenth one soon. Um, so we couldn't quite type it all out like that, but I think certain classes appeal to certain numbers. Yeah, who appeals to the seven? For me, is there a party animal character? 
Yeah, so uh, bards are probably bards? a southern a bard. Yeah, so that's a musical magical weaver. Yeah, and just, they're also so it's very medieval. The whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all where nerds live. Um, now, my question um, was going to be, who's the best dungeon and dragon player you've ever met? Sure. I think having heard what you said, now my question is, what makes a great dungeon and right. dragon no, that, player? That is a yeah. That that is a much better question. Um, I think someone. I mean, it. it, it yeah, let me let me qualify. So, so are you asking about dungeon masters, or you're asking about players? Uh, I'm asking about dungeon masters. Okay, uh, I think what makes a good dungeon master is humility and um, improvisation. Um, the improv makes sense to me. Explain yes. the humility. So the humility is that this is not my story. This is, um, I, I'm kind of laughing at my own comment I'm sure. about to make. This is like more profoundly theological than I thought it it's would be. Absolutely. Yeah. The I, whole that, thing. Which is part of what appeals to me about it as, okay. as a person. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is that I am putting these things out there in the world, but they're not mine. They're ours as a party, as a, as a group of people who gather around to tell this story. Um, and that they, I may spend weeks slaving away on a character that I really like, that I think they're going to enjoy, and then they decide, or a storyline that I'm like, you know, I leave little breadcrumbs from them to pick up on, and they may either never pick up on those breadcrumbs, or they may say, mm, we don't want to do that, and we're going to go over here instead, because that's entirely at their discretion. So there's both uh, a sense of autonomy for the master and the players. Absolutely, yeah. They can, they can say, we're not going to do the thing you've put in front of Humility us, and we're going to wander over here instead. and improvisation yeah. now tell me what makes a good player i think what makes a good player is um problem solving okay um, that, that you would be intuitive yeah and i think a certain amount of of looseness and i think what i mean by that is both uh willingness to go with the flow when things go wrong or don't pan out exactly the way it, you think on your feet constantly as a player because you know no plan survives contact with the enemy right so like players will often plan for half an hour or more of like okay we're gonna do this and then you're gonna go and then we're gonna you know we're gonna sneak around this way and almost immediately it, it inevitably goes wrong and so it's thinking on your feet it's holding it loosely and i think it's holding your character um loosely too in the sense of um be willing to let to discover your own character because you'll decide things before the game starts but as you play you might discover things about your character like huh like i think they would do this or i think they wouldn't like this and it's not something you originally intended but it's just something that's come up as you inhabit the space of someone else and you kind of live in somebody else's shoes that you say well actually yeah like i didn't intend for this but but i think that's what this character would do so i have questions about both of those now, um, cool. one much more profound than the other. Let's go back to the Dungeon Master. Yes. So um, this feels sort of silly and almost blasphemous, but nonetheless, since we're talking about writing stories, right. a very creative act. Uh, you know, I think one thing for humans to really, we really struggle to con conceive of, even if we feel like we have a good answer, is yeah. theodicy. Mm. And um, I w I'm in the Richard Rohr Sunday School class. Yes. And one of the things somebody said the other week is that he will begin prayers as um, God, the great allower. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, I, you know, that in some sense is both comforting and discomforting to me. Yeah. I had wondered, as the dragon dungeon master, yes. who is crafting really the stage in which a drama happens, yes. and having to introduce and make judgments about certain kinds of constraints, right. if you feel like, and it feels blasphemous to even ask, but you have <laughs> greater insight into the complexity. Sure of the whole theodicy and from God's point of view? I think yes and no. Um, I think 
Yes, in the sense of um, because even as a dungeon, like you know, we roll things on the dice, and and dungeon masters use dice as much as the players do to determine things. But every now and again, we do have, as a dungeon master, you have the luxury of what we call like fudging a roll every now and then where if players are frustrated and they're you know maybe they're searching for something they're just not doing it all the rolls are just rolling low and they're not hitting the target that i've decided in my head is the number they need mm-hmm. i might say okay well um look again and then they roll it and i say okay you, you found something to help nudge it along because they're frustrated and they're not enjoying it and i can kind of do that without letting them know that i've like lowered something or i've changed something now that slightly. that ability to fudge the dice yes is that um is that in the rule book or is that like a um the, Kieran it's it actually the the rules are fantastic the the the, the guys who make Dungeons and Dragons um they are like the, they often say that the rules are entirely to serve the group and so if they don't serve the group if they don't promote fun storytelling ignore them hmm. you know or ignore a certain rule if players don't like it if you as a dungeon master don't like it um feel free to ignore it take what you like leave what you don't. Um, and that way it becomes a bespoke thing for you and your group that you're going to get the most out of. But in in that, so, so I think that leads me to, um, I think it has made me recently more frustrated with God sometimes because I'm like, you could just fudge a roll for me. Hmm. You know, you could just say, I see your frustration. I see your, you know, your questioning and your searching and I see your pain I'm a I'm a lower this this difficulty check for you, or I'm gonna you know, and I think I think so. Sometimes it, it 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 I think it, and again that's my I'm also aware at the same time that that's my flawed human understanding of it, right? Because this is a role that we do not have remotely as human beings, but as a dungeon master, I kind of see a shade of that um, in a way that I may not if I were doing something else. And so I think my and maybe that's just where I am in life right now too is just I feel a I. I feel a frustration with that. Yeah. Mm. Um, thank you for a yeah. pretty reflective answer on that. My question now about the player is, uh, let me use an analog because sure. I can't quite access the world. Um, have you played Settlers of Catan? I haven't. I really want to. Okay, well, th- this will be pretty intuitive. Uh, it's a game with a lot more constraint. Sure. I use this in a sermon of the unjust steward. Right. Where uh, my brother-in-law once traded everybody for their yes. wheat, got all their, gave his wheat away, yeah. then played a Monopoly card and took his wheat back. Sure. There's no, nothing in the rules about that. That's just right. a really creative way to use exactly. the card. Exactly, yeah. So what is a creative way to use your character, your... right. In, in a game where there doesn't seem to be quite as many rules. Right. Um, yeah, that's a difficult question to answer in, in isolation because a lot of that depends on the circumstances of the players and stuff. So perhaps I'll... Um, maybe I'll use an example of... So I, so I, I, I my initial avenue into Dungeons & Dragons was watching um, a particular live play Dungeons & Dragons game on YouTube. Uh, and the, the it's called Critical Role. The draw of that one is that it's uh, done by uh, voice actors who are, so they're professional actors and they play Dungeons and Dragons. And so it's wildly entertaining to watch. It's brilliant. Hmm. There is a moment um, where one of the characters, uh, they're role-playing twins, twin twin elves, and um, they're called Vex and Vax. And Vex dies. Her character, uh, Laura Bailey's character Vex, dies. Um, and they do not have they have a cleric with them but they don't have the they don't have the the necessary spells or the correct uh, materials to bring her back 
And so at the moment, Laura's facing like, I'm going to have to roll a new character, which means I'm going to have to have a brand new character in. Vax, her brother, who's played by Liam, is going to have to deal with the loss of his twin sister in this dark dungeon where there's no light and they've just like took this huge loss. Um, and they're in this tomb that is uh, traditionally, uh, there's the champion of a goddess called the Raven Queen. And the Raven Queen is the goddess who, in that world at least, stands between the living and the dead. She kind of is rules over that domain where you pass between the two. And so Vax, Liam as a player, there's no rules for this. There's no like, but Vax in that moment uh, reaches out to the Raven Queen, who's just played by the Dungeon Master. So Matt, the Dungeon Master, is like, oh, suddenly I have to be the Raven Queen. He says, if you bring her back, I will be your champion and I will be your new champion, the tomb of who your old champion were in. If you bring her back now, I will give you basically a favor card that you can pull whenever and I will serve you. Um, and so Matt in that moment says, well, okay, you know, make a roll, make a persuasion check. And so Vax then, and so again, none of this is, dis- he's saying, this is an avenue we could explore, but you still have to make, sh- like you still have so to roll he, for this. You, and it's the dungeon master's um, introducing risk. Absolutely. And so and so Liam rolls the dice um, and it works and Vax comes back and it changes the whole trajectory, not just of Liam's character Vax, but of the campaign and the campaign becomes about something else because of this in this moment decision with the pieces that the dungeon master had put around the room liam looks wildly about to try and problem solve something that's happened and grabs a bunch of stuff and says i'm gonna do this and it changes everything um and it's one of the beauty beautiful things about D. Well, yeah, you know, I was just thinking it's, it really is the human imagination Absolutely. that makes the game. It is. It can't ever be re- replicated. No, no. Not so in, in that way, it like, it kind of um, surpasses chess in the like possibilities category. It does. It really does. And I think that's why, so, so earlier on when I said, um, I feel like it touches on those, those three kind of uh, ancient human things, drives of, of kind of community um, storytelling and exploration. The exploration part of that is that, it, unlike watching a movie, reading a book, or even playing a video game, you are that character at that table. You are exploring that dungeon. You are at risk of dying. You are with your friends overcoming these problems and these puzzles. And so it's not just a game where you're like, this is it. It's like, I'm really, ex- we're not physically doing it, but I'm really experiencing this. And there are real world, con- like, not real world, you know, yeah, yeah you're not going to die. But there are consequences for my actions is that if I fail to do this thing something will happen and we will have to do with the consequences of that um and it's also it's also the thing of like we get to go see what's over that next hill as players and you're really gonna go as your characters in this space that you're all holding together as a community we're gonna go explore and discover and we're the first person people to do this you know the dungeon master knows what it is but we are still the ones who are actively discovering this ancient ruin for the first time. We're delving into this dungeon or we're in this noble's core and we're scheming the political machinations between factions and we are the ones who are actively doing this, you know? So it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, you know, you describe it like that and I was, you know, I named all those things earlier on the how nerd are you section. But really it's, the, the connection is that people are getting to be in the stories that's exactly what it is yeah it's you live and not only do you live the story you actively dictate so like if you're reading a book you cannot say i would have gone down the left corridor instead of the right but in dungeons and dragons you do that 
It's choose your own adventure and really choose your own adventure. It's absolutely, it's choose your own adventure week after week with your friends uh, in a party that you, you're entirely in charge of your own destiny. Well, we're already at 30 minutes. I do want to ask, I, I had on my script here to ask about Vanessa. Sure. But I'm going to use that as a segue to talk about community. So for listeners, Vanessa's your wife. Yes. Vanessa's a California girl who she is. went to St. Andrews to meet you. She didn't strike me as a Dungeons and Dragons player. She right. is playing with you. She is, yeah. Um, and you get together with um, some friends of ours that we both know. Yes. Um, a, does she love it? And B, I mean, help us understand the communal aspect. Right. I mean, I think it's intuitive, but just talk about her experience with this. Right, sure. Um, and so obviously, like, she could speak to it better. But um, I think, again, one of the beautiful things about Dungeons & Dragons is that it is many things to many people. And so the thing that you enjoy most, you you can kind of leave the other stuff at the wayside a little bit and say, well, I don't really care about optimizing my the numbers on my sheet or the like. What I'm there for is I enjoy the social aspect. I enjoy the creative aspect. And I think that's something that she connects with the most is um, this is a world in which we get to inhabit and we get to live out and we get to kind of interact with and tell a story together in a way that we don't in any other kind of like game or book or narrative um so i think she really engages with the narrative aspect of it and uh, again she would you know speak way better to that but and i think that's something for for communities of people who when you get together and sit down at a table is that you know if you have five players in the dungeon master every single one of them has something that they are preferring over something else right or they have things they want to get out of it and they have things that they enjoy maybe they enjoy the technicalities of it more maybe they enjoy the combat maybe they enjoy the social encounters um and that's part of a dungeon master's job is to juggle those things and to make sure that everybody is getting out of it what they want to get out of it so here's my last um question surrounding community and this might be too dramatic for the nature of the scope of what it is but when i think about where where real good communities exist yeah and they don't just exist in religious places they exist all over right um i think what the common thread is like this real sense of intimacy right and i had wondered with something like dungeons and dragons where on the one hand um just the the event itself present lends itself to that but also people kind of um in role-playing moments be it acting or whatever uh become very bold but i think it's because they're disconnected from themselves Mm. so i could see it both making space for that and working against it right in your opinion, does it make space for that kind of intimacy and connection? I think and if really, so, how? Yeah, sure. I, th- I think it really does. I think I think what it one of the ways in which it does that is it encourages people to let down walls that we build up in everyday life, um, and so we don't let people in, and we don't let. I mean, and that's obviously that's not universally true, but we tend to build. We have these walls that we've put up for whatever reason for however long they've been up, and I think the act of playing a character because your character is still parts of you. It is this made-up person, but you have created them. And so there's an element, there's a seed of you in now, however big or small it is. It's kind of like hanging your piece of art on the wall. Right, exactly. Yeah, like you've made it. There is some of you in that. Um, And I think as people get to explore that character more, they're exploring those parts of themselves more. Um, And I think it encourages them because the detachment sometimes helps, I think, because they might let down walls because they say, well, my character wouldn't have this wall up, right? They wouldn't have this barrier to intimacy or whatever. Um... And in doing so, they discover that their characters let down that wall, but they also begin to do that with the group uh, and that they become closer. And the other thing is, is that in the same way that in real life, when you go through um, difficult events or kind of trials and tribulations and it brings you together with the group of people you did that with, 
in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the, the the stuff we're doing may be made up, but the emotions are real, and the thrill is real, and the risk is real, and the you know, the, if you're invested in it, it becomes this um, bonding experience with this group of people where you have been through that together, and you've traveled the world together, and you fought by each other's sides, and you've cried with each other, and you've brought each other, you know, back from the dead. Sometimes, you know, you've cried, you've grieved, you've you've lost together, you've won together. Um, and I think it creates a bond between people that uh, is just as, maybe not just as strong, but certainly, at, you know, strong as doing that in real life, you know, really doing something like that. Well, Garen, thank you for this conversation, yeah, which certainly you. had contours I did not expect, but I'm nonetheless delighted by. Appreciate you being on Curious and giving us primer on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Chris, thank you for having me.